You're listening to Time in the Word. In this message, Dr. Gonzalez will focus on the fifth, sixth, and seventh bowl judgments. As a result of these judgments, the world will experience a supernatural darkness over the kingdom of the Antichrist. In Mark 13, 24, Jesus himself said that during the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The drying up of the Euphrates River, which will facilitate the crossing of the river by the armies of the kings of the east. The sixth bowl is far more than a plague. It is a prelude to the gathering of the troops for Armageddon. And a massive moving of the earth's crust that will be accompanied by huge hundred-pound hailstones falling from heaven. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his study on end times prophecy. Well, we have now, we are getting ready to conclude the last series of judgments that are uh, written about in the book of Revelation. We have seen the seal judgments in Revelation chapter 6. We've seen the uh, uh, trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8 and 9, and we are now finishing up the bowl judgments which are in Revelation chapter 16. We've made some application about uh, how uh, this relates to uh, not only those who will be living during that time, but also for those of us who are alive today prior to the rapture and certainly prior to the tribulation period, for we will not be here for this uh, uh, these seven years uh, of, of uh, uh, judgment. Now, we uh, were looking already at uh, bowl number five. I believe that is where we concluded. Uh, we expressed that at this particular point there would be essentially uh, worldwide darkness because once this bowl had been uh, poured on the kingdom of Antichrist, uh, it would, in essence, uh, bring darkness uh, onto the earth, and human beings would gnaw their tongues and in the process um, curse God and continue to refuse to repent uh, for their sins. Now, it's curious to me, at this particular stage, John has increased the number of times in which he tells us that people curse God and they refuse to repent and continue to make a deliberate choice to worship uh, uh, Satan and Antichrist. Uh, at this particular point, it's obvious to all of us that uh, uh, these people are no longer now rejecting the existence of God. They know who God is. In fact, they're aware of the fact that the judgments are coming from God. Now it's an outright stubborn refusal not to acknowledge the existence of God, but to acknowledge Him as Lord of their life. Uh, why they choose to continue to worship Antichrist and continue to worship Satan uh, over God uh, is 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 really beyond me. Although we can make a, uh, we can we can speak about the depravity of the human heart and the hardness that that heart can reach. Uh, really, if you look inside the flesh of these individuals, uh, th there is no fleshly heart in there. It is stone. It is iron. It is uh, rock solid. These people simply will not acknowledge God. Uh, as their God, as their Lord, and they refuse to repent of their sin, their lifestyle, their persecution of the saints of God and of the people of Israel. Well, now we're going to look at bowl number six, 
And this is found in Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. And this is what John says. The sixth angel out of his bowl poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. Remember, looked like. He always uses the word like in attempting to compare what he's seen with what something he may know or have experienced in order to uh, uh, create a picture for us of, of, of the vision. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Uh, they are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes, clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now this particular pouring of the bowl is an anticipation to Armageddon. Now uh, we'll speak a little bit further or, or about the stages of Armageddon a little bit later. We want to spend uh, some time considering this particular bowl. Now with this bowl the first thing that God does is He causes the great river Euphrates to dry up, uh, which in turn will facilitate the crossing of the armies of the east towards Palestine and the Promised Land. The sixth bowl is far more than a plague. It's a prelude to the gathering of the troops for Armageddon. Now John states that the unholy or the evil trinity, that being Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet, uh, spew out three vile yet very powerful and deceitful demons out of their mouth. And their job is to gather together the kings of the world and to bring the kings of the world to the place where the great and final battle will be fought. Now there's a number of passages that we can consider here in the Old Testament. Now the deceitful demons, as I said, will induce, in essence, uh, Orient, the Oriental army along with the kings of the world to make their way to Armageddon to march against Israel and defeat God's purposes on earth. For example, in Psalm 2 and verses 2 and 3, this is what the psalmist said. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Precisely what 
this angel or, or uh, what this bowl is telling us will occur. The three demons that are spewed out of the mouth of the unholy trinity will be the ones responsible for indeed gathering uh, uh, the kings of the east and the kings of the world to the stage where indeed the final battle will take place against between those who are bent on destroying God's people and the nation of Israel uh, and, 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 to and to defeat God in His purpose uh, in the world. Another passage that we can look at is Joel chapter 3 and verses 2 through 4 gives us a little more light on this particular subject. Joel 3, 2 through 4, it says this, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Je Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return uh, on your own heads what you have done. And another final passage, and certainly this is not the exhaustive list of passages that we can look at, is uh, Zechariah. Let me find Zechariah chapter 14 and verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. A day, a day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out, listen, and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be, will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountain moving north and half the mountain moving south. Now we have, if you consider the passage that we've just looked at, Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16, and these three Old Testament passages, they speak of the battle of Armageddon, the great war with God and Christ, which ends in Jesus' return. Now, Armageddon is the Hebrew name for Mount Megiddo, located six miles north of Jerusalem. So we now see the stage being set for the second coming of Christ. And we see that at this particular point, as the armies of the world gather together to destroy God's people, to destroy the nation of Israel, God will himself engage in battle and bring destruction to these armies. And in fact, we're told that, uh, well, let's look, at, let's look at bowl number seven and I'll elaborate a little bit more. Bowl number seven is found in Revelation 16 
verses 17 through 21. And John says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found from the sky huge hailstones uh, of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men and they cursed listen and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible listen this final judgment brings about the greatest convulsions the earth has ever experienced, nature has ever experienced. There will be a massive moving of the earth's crust that will be accompanied by 100 pound hailstones falling from heaven. Men who survive will persist in blaspheming God rather than turning to Him. Now listen, the conclusion of this judgment will bring men to the end of the tribulation period and to the second coming of Christ to begin His reign over the earth. Only one more part of the picture remains to be completed. And we are going to spend a little bit of time. Actually, we're not going to get into this right now because we are not going to have enough time. Uh, we will cover on our next program, the next message will cover the, the Armageddon, and we will look at the various stages of Armageddon. There are uh, many New Testament scholars and prophecy experts believe that the, the, that the Armageddon can be broken down in stages, and I will present to you the nine stages in which we can break down Armageddon. One important thing that we want to consider is that Armageddon is not a single battle, but it is, uh, uh, it, it is something that occurs in stages throughout the tribulation period, but it does come to a head. What I want to do for the remaining minutes here is try to make some application of this and, and try to bring some sense and try to bring some... Uh, uh, sense of urgency to those of you who have been following this series over the last few months. Uh, it is our purpose, it is my purpose here to share with you what the Bible says concerning the future of the world and the future of mankind. Because I believe that one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have available to us today is the whole study of prophecy. What an incredible privilege that we have as Christians to be able to have in detailed much of the future revealed to us down to the very names of the nations that will be involved in 
uh, many of the events that take place during this time. Now, I don't really believe, listen, it's not a matter of being an optimist or a pessimist. I think it's important to be a realist. And, and if we are going to be realists, I don't think any true realist can say truthfully that he believes or she believes that the future of the world is looking better today than it has looked in the past. The truth of the matter is that the, uh, that the things that we see developing around the world, the wars that the countries are engaging in against each other, the civil wars that are breaking out within nations, the natural disasters that are taking place, the further development of weapons of mass destruction continually seem to point to the simple fact that humanity has reached the brink of, in essence, destruction of its own world and of the people who live in it. Listen, things, I'll tell you how I feel. Oftentimes when I read newspapers and read magazines and listen to the news, I just simply get the sense that I am walking in a world that feels like eggshells. And we live in a world that, listen, there is no doubt in my mind that most people would probably agree with me. We live in a world that seems to be nothing more than a time bomb waiting to explode. We are just waiting to see who is going to be the first one to take that step that will plunge the world into absolute chaos. Now, fortunately for Christians, and actually fortunately for non-believers as well, we have much detail given to us by God in His Word concerning the future, and I believe He gives us this much detail, one, to give Christians hope about the fact that He is a sovereign God and that all of human history is in His hands and that nothing occurs apart from Him allowing it. And two, as a reason to reach those who at this point have refused to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the fact that we have so much information in so much detail about the future should be very encouraging to believers and unbelievers as well. Now, my point, once again, of presenting this series of messages about Bible prophecy is to give all of you, if you're a Christian, a sense of urgency about living a holy life, a life that is honoring and pleasing to God, a life that proclaims the gospel even if you don't speak it. If, uh, uh, remember, pictures speak a thousand words and a life lived for Christ, even if you don't have the opportunity to share the gospel, a life lived for Christ is a life that screams the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, our job is to make it easier for others to believe in God. And secondly, my purpose in preaching this series of sermons, uh, this series on, on Bible prophecy, is to give those of you who have not yet entered into a personal relationship with Christ a sense of urgency. Listen, I have experienced to an extent life. Now I don't consider myself an old person, but I consider myself a person who has experienced life, who has gone through the ups and downs, who has seen the benefits and the, the pros and the cons. And, and, I, and I'm telling you that from experience, life, the world, Satan, has nothing to offer me except a guarantee of 
eternal torment with him outside of the presence of God. I can tell you from personal experience that I began to live the day I entered into a personal relationship with Christ. I ceased to merely exist and I began to live and to savor life as God meant for me to savor life and to experience the blessings and the goodness and the love and the mercy of God as He intended for me to experience. And I can tell you with all assurance that all the goodness and, ex and mercy and grace that I've experienced from God doesn't even begin to come close to that which I will experience in heaven one day forever. And I want you, every single one of you, those of you who are watching or listening uh, on radio, I want you to uh, consider for a moment the words that I'm speaking and consider for a moment that it, if you are hearing these words, you're hearing these words because God intended you for he to hear this word, these words. It's not a consequence that you turned on your TV. It is not a consequence that you tuned into the radio and you found this program on the air. God is speaking to you and God is telling you right now, I love you and I want to give you the free gift of eternal life. I want you to ask Jesus Christ, my beloved son, my only beloved son, to forgive you of your sins, and I want you to enter into a personal relationship with me, but you must make a decision. You must choose to respond to the voice of God, and if you don't, then in essence, you have. Because making no decision is making a decision. And if you believe that today is today and tomorrow you will have the opportunity, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. I remember the young woman who led me to the Lord. She had told me of a story of a young woman she had spoken to uh, at some point in the near past. And she had been sharing with her the gospel of Jesus Christ and she was sharing with her the heart of God. And she was convinced that the lady she was speaking to understood the gospel and the importance of making a decision for Jesus. But she was a young woman and she felt that she had more to experience in life. And she decided to postpone the decision to follow Jesus, which in essence was no postponement at all. She had made a choice. She thought, she assumed that she had a tomorrow to, to turn to Christ. The unfortunate ending of the story is this. She told me that the very next day, this girl who said that she would say yes to Jesus, but she would do it later on, was killed by a stray bullet as she was standing pumping gas in her car at a gas station. This girl did not have another day in order to change her mind about Jesus and to give her life to the Lord Jesus. None of us have a guarantee of tomorrow. None of us can assure ourselves of anything outside of the simple fact that we are here now, we know the truth, we've heard the truth, and we have a choice to make. If you are one who does not want to enter into the tribulation period and experience the judgments of God and the horror that humanity can bring upon itself, and if you are one who wants to escape the torment of hell forever, then you must choose Jesus.